Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We just give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in all things, Lord. And we just want to go into your word today, Lord, and see what you have for us. And may your Holy Spirit open our hearts and open our minds to the things that you want us to learn today and walk away today, Lord, with the things that we can put into our lives, put into use, and do it in your memory and do it for you and your glory. Amen. Okay. Uh, previously, we did chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Jonah. There's four chapters, so we're going to finish Jonah today. Um, the, uh, the fourth chapter of Jonah. But uh, we haven't been in Jonah for a little while, so I just want to kind of summarize what we did in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So um, basically, the four chapters have a message. And um, chapter 1 is Jonah running away from God. Remember, he's on his way and uh, gets on a ship and he takes off and he's trying to get as far away from God as he can. Chapter 2, Jonah's running to God. The fish picks him up, bringing him back towards Nineveh, right? The fish was going the right way, but Jonah was going the wrong way. Chapter 3, Jonah is running with God. Now he's going to do what he's told. He's repented. And then the fourth chapter, we see him running ahead of God. In other words, he wants to do something, and he wants a result that maybe necessarily isn't the result that the Lord wants at that moment. So in chapter 1, we found Jonah running away as far as he could. He was trying to run to Spain, get on the ship, was bound for Spain, what we know as Spain today. And uh, once he started running from God, he was on his way down. And that word is mentioned a few times, and the word but is mentioned a few times in chapter 1. As as a matter of fact, but is used 11 times in the book of Jonah, which is kind of interesting, by Jonah and by God. It's used by both of them. Uh, For God, it always turns out to be a great thing, a very good thing. But for Jonah, it doesn't always turn out to be the best. When the Lord said, but Jonah, but God turns out to be good. Um, the word down, we see Jonah going down to Joppa. He's running to the seaport. That's just below Tel Aviv in Israel today. Uh, by Jonah and by God. For God is always, uh, you know, where God is, is always where he is. He's, he's everywhere. So he's going down to Joppa. He goes down into a ship uh, bound for the farthest place that he can get away from going to Nineveh, you know. And then he goes down into the lower level of the ship. And then they end up throwing him overboard, right? And then he goes down into the sea. He's about down as far as he can go, you know, the depths of the ocean. But the Lord has a plan. No one can run away from God, for he's everywhere. David expressed that in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 10. He said, Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? Can't go anywhere. If I ascend up into heaven, there you are. And if I uh, make my bed in hell, behold, there you are. Um, I take the wings. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, that's where Jonah probably was, for there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So there isn't a place that anybody can get away from God in any way, shape, or manner. can't run from him. 
We're better off being patient and be with him and stay there and listen to what he has to say and actually do what he wants us to do. So Jonah's path downwind went all the way into the belly of a huge fish where he was there for three nights and three days. Kind of a stubborn guy, you know. You know, he didn't start praying for three days. Um, And we talked about the atmosphere there, having never been in the belly of a fish, but I've taken a few hooks out of a fish and cut kind of like the smell of what it might be there, you know. Until he repented and prayed to the Lord, as we see in chapter 2. And his prayer was very psalm-like. It was very meaningful. And the Lord heard his prayer and released him from the fish. And the fish had vomited him onto the shore. That was the first gut missile that had ever been thrown in the whole world. Okay? Came out of the fish's stomach and pow! Wherever he ended up, maybe he ended up on a beach. Okay? And if there was people around, you can imagine what they were thinking. Like, wow, that's kind of amazing. Or am I dreaming? Or what's going on? You know? But... Uh, but he got up. It doesn't say what he does. doesn't say he went home and changed his clothes or doesn't say anything like that. just says now he's going to be faithful and he's going to move ahead. Um, and he probably, if he was on a beach, he probably got up to the top of the beach in the sand and there was a sign, uh, Nineveh, straight ahead. Okay? I'm just, that's my version of it. Um, in chapter 3, we see Jonah beginning his journey to Nineveh. He announced his evangelical message, which was in Jonah ch- chapter 3, verse 4. It says, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his whole message. You think, wow. Billy Graham got up there in the stadiums, and he probably had a 25-minute message or whatever. But this guy's got one line. Um, That's a pretty short message. And right to the point, it's telling, hey, you have 40 days, Nineveh, or you're going down. The Lord's going to come and he's going to do whatever he has to do. And what was the response to that message? It was the result that the city as a whole repented from their sins. Just that little message, right? But it was, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm sure. And it was exactly what God wanted to do at that time. And they put on sackcloth and ashes and fasted from food and water, which was showing their heart, who they are at that time. And the inhabitants were saved from God's wrath. You know, they escaped by doing that and being uh, faithful. They even put sackcloth on the animals during that time, when you read this chapter 3. Even the dogs or, you know, whatever else they had, camels or whatever. Um, but this displeased Jonah very much. He wasn't happy with this. He's very, very angry. So this is where we pick it up in chapter 4. Okay? Uh, Jonah's anger you know, versus God's kindness. Um, so Jonah has a complaint in verse 1. So we read verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Exceedingly. It makes you wonder... The evangelical message was successful, but the prophet Jonah got angry. He went there as an evangelist for God, as a prophet, but he was angry because it worked. So you can see where his heart is. His heart is really hard. 
this is strange because Jonah was very upset at the success of his preaching of what he said. You know, so that kind of makes it even more uh, angry for him. He doesn't want these people to be saved. I mean, that's the bottom line. His heart wasn't in. The word used for anger in Hebrew is, in this one, is to be hot, to burn, be kindled, be incensed, to heat oneself in vexation, to be so angry you can't even have control of your own mind. You know, you just want to do something. It's a very strong anger, not just a passing emotion. It's staying there. It's not going away. Sometimes things happen in anger, boom. We say something, we let it go, we're done. Not in this case. This is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis chapter 4, verses 5, when Cain had his offering and he got no respect. And Cain was very wroth, it says. That word wroth is the same word in Hebrew, being that angry. And his countenance fell. And what did Cain do? Cain killed his brother Abel. So um, it's a pretty, pretty large anger, pretty large anger completely. So in verse 2, um, Jonah's going to explain his anger to the Lord now. So in verse uh, 2 and 3, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? It's like, Lord, didn't I tell you when I was back? And I didn't want to go. This is what I was saying. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He knew who his Lord was to him, but he didn't want him to be that Lord for these other people. Uh, Jonah was angry. because God granted repentance to the Ninevites and the Assyrians were enemies of Judah and Israel. And they'll continue to be enemies later on. It's always been an enemy of Israel, is, um, is the Canaanites and those kinds of people. Um, so Jonah wanted God to bring judgment upon these people. He wanted to see him fried, you know, wanted to see whatever God was going to do. So the Hebrew, and um, he said, I know you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. That's who God is, one who relents from doing harm. We talk to the Lord. He forgives us our sins. We're there. We ask for forgiveness. You know, all we've got to do is go before him and, and you know, present that to him as, as an individual. The Hebrew word for gracious means unmerited favor. Same as grace, same, um, same definition. Not by our works, not by anything that we've done, but by God's blessing of mercy upon us. Okay? And this is the way that God works. We just studied Galatians, and we went through that for a long time, and it kept the message kept loud and clear. Nothing you do. It's all about God. Um, the Hebrew word for merciful means compassionate, full of compassion, the passion that can only come from God. It's perfect. You know, we can show compassion to somebody, but we're sinful people. We don't have that completeness that God has. You know, the, the, perfect, the perfect, the perfectness that's there for compassion. He doesn't see anything else but to say, okay, I'm going to take care of you. You know, there's nothing else in the back of his, of his mind. He's saying, okay. I have this compassion. I'll reach out. I'll embrace you. 
I'll heal you, I'll forgive you your sins, whatever it is. The Hebrew word for slow to anger is, means anger, wrath, a completely different anger from the strong anger used by Jonah. It's a different word. But one thing about foreign languages is sometimes there's many words for the same word, and it's used in the context, in the, in the tense, in the sentence, the way it is at that moment. And um, so it's a completely different anger. The anger is like expressing a sigh. <sighs> okay, I want to forgive you now, okay? Jonah's wasn't like that. Jonah's was, you know, he was probably biting his tongue. He was probably you know, ready to bite it off. That's how angry he was. The Hebrew word for loving kindness means goodness, faithfulness. God is faithful. God is very, very faithful. The Hebrew word for relents is to be sorry, repent, and to comfort. And that's how God worked. And that's what he did with the people from Nineveh. Actually, that's what he did with Jonah. And that, actually, that's what he does for us. Um, we can see the contrast here between the actions of Jonah and the actions of God. They're about 180 degrees different. And Jonah, quick to anger hot under the collar anger, and God's slow to anger, showing loving kindness, being gracious, and being compassionate. So we move into verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Excuse me. For it is better for me to die uh, than to to live. So Jonah um, wants to die. He's so angry he wants to die. Jonathan Swift expressed what he thought Jonah's frame of mind was when he said this. He said, we are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven jammed. You know, he didn't want anybody else. He didn't want those people in heaven. It's the exact opposite of the Lord. It's very extreme when someone asks to die because they're so pained by something that they don't want to go on thinking about it anymore. It's a big decision. I mean, it's like something huge to say. But Jonah didn't fear at any time that he would uh, be ineffective, but rather that he would be effective because he knows the way that God works. And that was part of it too. Like, I don't want to say it. The minute I say it, I know, Lord, you're going to take care of it. And that's what happened. Um, moving into verse 4, 4-4. Four, four. Then the Lord said, is it right, he asked him a question, is it right for you to be angry? You think you're doing the right thing here, Jonah? You know, how many times has the Lord spoke to us like that? You know, you, know, you say something, then, you know, all of a sudden you get, you're praying or something, and the Lord says, hey, this is what I said. You're going to take care of it or, you know, what's up with that? Now we see God asking a question. God likes to ask questions, doesn't he? We all know that. We've all had questions asked for us in one way. Thank you. Or the other. Um, Jonah didn't fear at any time of anything, but once the questions start to come, I don't I wonder what he's thinking. Has he ever asked us questions, I believe he has. Oh, thanks. I got short arms. If I had his arms, I would have made it. Um, 
some biblical examples of God's questions throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, talking to Adam and Eve, he said, where are you? He knew where they were. He just wanted them to say it. He wanted them to answer it. Who told you that you were naked? They could look at each other and see they were naked. Okay, maybe they didn't understand it, but the Lord knew that. What is the time, what is uh, this that you have done? He wanted them to state their sin so he could give them forgiveness. And he was leading them along that way. God asked questions a lot of times for that reason. In Isaiah 6, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, send me, Lord. A lot of times the Lord asked us that question. Whom shall I send? And you think, man, I don't want to go there. Why? I don't even like it there. You know, it's a little bit like Jonah. But the right answer is, send me, Lord. Let me get the blessing. Let me get out there. Let me do it. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is right after they stoned Stephen. He's on the road to Damascus. The Lord appears to him. And the first question he asked and uses his name twice for emphasis, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he had to answer that. And out of that came maybe the greatest Bible teacher that ever was born, that, you know, put the word into writing, and we have things that we would have never known if the Lord didn't work through Paul. So the answer to God's question Excuse me, let me do this. Here in Jonah, no, Lord, all your ways are right, even if I don't understand them. In other words, I'll do it. I'll go for it. Um, If you have one of those questions outstanding in your life right now, it's probably time to answer that question, you know, because there's... It's time to come up and answer the Lord on things. And um, you say, what if I don't know the answer? Or what if I do not like the answer? You know, there's two, two caveats there. Uh, first, uh, pray about it. And do not stop praying about it until you have an answer. We've heard Rudy tell us this on Monday night a lot, haven't we? And secondly, ask the Lord to lead you to the scriptures that have the answer. And we've heard that. You know, show me, Lord. Show me where I can get the answer. And every answer that we have can get that's biblical, that's in the Lord, is right here. So sometimes the answer is yes. Okay, go ahead. And go ahead and do what I asked. Sometimes the answer is no. Um, I don't want you to go ahead. I don't want you to get down that road. I want you to over here. And sometimes the answer is wait. In order to be wait, we've got to be patient. And a lot of us aren't patient. I want it now, Lord. I want to know now. Sometimes he makes you wait a couple of years. He's preparing you for where he's going to send you or what you're going to do or how you're going to serve him. So patience is a virtue that comes with time and listening, and learning, and understanding to look to the Lord. And he always has the right answer. And lastly, when you get the answer, act on it. You'll be blessed by doing so. You don't say, well, let me put out another uh, thing so that I know it's true. 
No, you don't test the Lord. You go ahead and you do it. And the blessings that come out of that are immeasurable. You know, we've all experienced them. Everybody in here has experienced them. Um, the people of this world now have a lot of questions today, a lot, with everything that's going on in the world today with COVID-19 virus. Um, you know, what will the vaccine be like? Will we get it? When's that going to happen? Um, how long is this social distancing going to happen and worry a mask to continue? You know, Lord, I'm tired of it. You know, we've been in it for a number of months. I don't want it anymore. Um, but we can't, we have to be doing what the Lord asks us to do. We have to follow things and different things, okay? As Christians, we can show the world that the only one that has any answers is God Almighty. And they have to see that in us as a person, as a group, as a church. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Two little words in there, same word, A-L-L, three-letter word, all. doesn't mean I give you 30% Lord. I'll give you 79%. No, 100%. We give it to the Lord. Um, where does the world stand today in light of things going on in the world? You know, where are people all over the world? We see it on television. We're blessed with the fact that we can see the world today in different venues, you know. The COVID, number one, the COVID-19 virus lives, lives being lost all over the world. We can see that. I don't know if the numbers are true, you know. I don't know how they arrive at the numbers, but they're there. Black Lives Matter is out there doing their thing. Marx says violence in the street. This is the first way that countries get torn apart. You can look at history. You can look at Europe. You can look at Germany. You can look at Italy. It all happened there. But it was overcome in a war, and it was overcome by the nations of the world that came against evil. And progressive politics, it's a new word. It's alive in the United States today, and we see it. And people are worried about this, and people are taking sides and things like that. So this is the time, perhaps, the beginning of what could be the greatest time in history for repentance and salvation of the world. This could be it. This could be the door that's open to it. And the world masses uh, and show them the only real uh, answer that they have is Jesus Christ and his word. But it's up to us. We're the ones that are supposed to carry that message. We know it. We just don't keep it to ourselves, you know, and say, well, how, how do I go out and do that? Do I start a, you know, gathering at the corner of the street up here on Main? No. Do it in your daily life and people that you see. And the Lord will tell you, hey, tell them about me. Tell her about me. I don't want to do that, Lord. Why? I'm afraid. I'm with you. The Lord says, I'm with you. And he's with us all the time. And it doesn't matter what the words are. You don't have to be a great um, knowledgeable person of the Bible. You don't have to be an in-depth uh, student of it. He will give you the right thing to say. He always does. And it can be short and sweet, just like the message he gave to Jonah, right? Simple one sentence. You might not see the effect. person goes away, and off they go. Somebody else comes in, behind it, and waters it, and things go like that. That's how evangelism works is 
the individual and collectively. And we can all do it. You know, we can really all do it. So, um, in the next verse, in verse 5, uh, Jonah be- gets a, is getting the prepar- uh, preparation of getting an object lesson from God. Uh, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade until he might see what would become of the city. He wanted a front row seat like Euchre, the ball player guy. I'm go- I want to sit in the front row, and I want to see this thing go off like no other thing ever went off before. And he's looking that way. Um, it seems like Jonah is hoping that repentance of Nineveh was lacking, and he will see the city destroyed after all. Maybe God will change his mind. He goes out of the city for safety, just in case. He doesn't want to be in there. He's waiting for the fireworks. So in verse, verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. The Lord's still working with them. He's taking care of them. Okay, young fella, here it is. You're not going to sit in the shade. You're going to have this plant that's going to keep you, you know, from getting the sun on your head. So Jonah was very grateful for this. It's the first time we see him grateful because it came to him. It's all about me, Lord. All right. It's not about those Ninevites. Just as God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, now he prepares a plant to shelter Jonah as he waited, hoping that the city would be destroyed. So he's using things of nature, and he's using them, things that he would recognize. A plant, this name, uh, the plant is a tall biennial plant, still cultivated today. It's beautiful, it's quick-growing, it has a soft and succulent stalk. Pastor Bill would know about all of this. A slight injury to it will cause the plant to die. If you just touched it like that, it just dies, starts to die immediately. It's very sensitive. The word misery in this verse, um, the Hebrew word is evil, distress, misery, calamity. This is where, you know, uh, God was trying to take him out of this place. You know, he's saying uh, to deliver him from his misery. Deliver him from that place that he's in. It's what the Lord does for us. The primary idea here appears to be that of a joyful and cheerful countenance that he has now. He's happy. You know, he's probably singing the local songs or something. You know, hey, this is great. Um, Jonah's reaction to the plant looks like it stems from being selfish. It's all about him when he could care less about the people in Nineveh. Okay? And uh, John, uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 7 now. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, another part of nature, a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. So the worm probably slid up to it, took a bite out of it, and then kept on eating it, and then it died. Now we see God preparing something else. God has prepared the storm, the fish, the plant, and now the worm. The worm comes in. God can use anything, you know? So if a worm crawls up to you this afternoon, keep an eye on it, okay? 
The worm's task here is to devour the plant. It's to take your shade away. Okay, you've been comfortable now. Now I'm going to show you a lesson in life. This takes Jonah out of his comfort zone. He was comfortable. How does God work with us when we're kind of stubborn? Takes us out of our comfort zone. Puts us in a situation where it's like, oh man, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't have the tools or whatever, you know. But he says, listen to me, this is what's going on. This is what I want you to do. Just follow his way. So in verse, we move into chapter 8 now. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than live. It's on a death mission, this man. Up to now, we see God has prepared the storm, the fish, the plant, the worm. Now the wind and the sun. He's working everything. And everything that he can see, he can smell, he can feel, he can look, he can see. So prepare in this verse means uh, a sign or a point. I'm assigning you this to do that. And vehement in that description of the wind means in the sense of hot, sultry, silent wind. It's not a loud wind. You know, typically you can hear the effects of wind or you can feel the effects of it, you know. But in this particular case, it was a really hot, maybe um, very clammy type of wind that was coming on him and he probably didn't like it. So another selfish statement comes from Jonah when he leads to another question from God. Has to answer another one. It's a little bit different than the first one. So God now applies this lesson to Jonah. In verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Remember, that's the first one. Now he's coming back about the plant. He's being specific about something he did for him. And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. I don't care if it's right. I want to die. Okay, wake up, Jonah, wake up. So in Jonah 4.1, we see Jonah get angry. In Jonah 4.2, we see he explains his anger. This is a progression. In Jonah 4, 3, Jonah states, Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to live than die. I die than live. In Jonah 4, 4, the question one is, is it right for you to be angry? There's a sequence of things going on here. In Jonah 4, 4, 5, Jonah replied by leaving the city. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, I'm leaving. Basically, his actions declared his reply, not his words. His actions were doing something he didn't have to say. Um, in in uh, 4.6, God prepares the plant. Jonah feels good. All right, he's back up again. In 4.7, God prepares the worm. The worm eats the plant, taking Jonah out of his comfort zone, beginning to work on him again. In 4.8, Jonah's reaction to the loss of the plant is basically, let me die. I don't want it. I don't want to see this anymore. Now, here in Jonah 4.9, uh, God asks, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Slightly different than the question of 4-4. Now, God adds about the plant on his question about Jonah being right to be angry. And how does Jonah reply? It's right for me to be angry even to death. Jonah has answered the question after he applies the heat in Jonah's life. So he put it to Jonah to get the answer, but the heat had to happen. Out of that heat, came a response. And sometimes the Lord heats up our lives in different ways, you know. We're raising kids. 
Sometimes the kids have a, a thing going, they kind of rebel or whatever. You're thinking, oh, Lord, what am I going to do now? And you all, in, in, in dealing with things like that, we all learn a lesson, even though it's your son or your daughter or, or your brother, your sister, whatever. We all learn that example in the family that goes on when the Lord's working in somebody. You know, we all see it. We all have the benefit of that. Um, so maybe the Lord has been asking you and me a question that he wants to hear a reply. Maybe that question was here before you came here today. Perhaps you and I have been avoiding it and he's turned up the heat and he's brought on a little bit of heat here. Um, he brought in the wind in our lives so that we are taken out of our comfort zone and it will lead to the answer to his question. So if the Lord's working that way, he's working well. And hold on, because the answer's coming, and you're going to be part of it. He's going to be there right beside you. So in verse 10, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored. This is where he's going. The pity was for the plant, and it wasn't for the people. Nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in the night. He only had it overnight or for a short period of time, maybe not even a full day. And the word pity here, the Greek word is compassion, or to look at comp- with compassion. Um, the word labor, as he's pointing out, is to work severely with some irkness, like trying to dig a ditch. It isn't a happy task to dig a ditch. You know, the end result might be great. You might be using it for a sump. You might be using it for something. But while you're doing it, and if it was like this summer, like putting up a brick wall, Right? And the heat and stuff like that, it's irksome, kind of. You know, it gets under your skin. And that's what God is saying. You know, you didn't have to do anything like that. You didn't have to put sweat and exertion into it. I did it all. And, and the plant came up overnight, and it withered in a day. You had nothing to do with it growing and nothing invested in it. So you should be more concerned about the people than you should be concerned about a plant. So verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? That's kind of an interesting verse. It's like, what does that mean? You know, it's kind of strange, right? We kind of, you know, don't express things that way. The word pity here is spear. And should I not spear Nineveh? And 120 is six score in some of your Bibles. It's 120 times 1,000, 120,000 people. And most Bible scholars feel these are the children that are there in Nineveh, 120,000 children. You know, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. Well, I know even as a teenager, I didn't know my right hand from my left hand when I look back and understand the word of God now, you know. But God knows, and this is why he said it. God loves people. He loves them all. He doesn't differentiate between people because of their race or their nationality or anything like that. Um, His last choice, he loves us all. His last choice is to destroy. He doesn't want to destroy people. His first choice is to what? To save us. He put Jesus on the cross. A huge sacrifice. To sacrifice, God sacrificed himself because he's one of the persons in the Godhead, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, sacrificed himself on the cross for us. 
So in closing here, um, to kind of um, summarize everything that we've kind of looked at through the book of Jonah, Jonah made three errors that angry people make. Uh, each of these errors put Jonah in a worse place, not a better place. You know, anger doesn't usually bring about good things. Number one, Jonah quit. You know, he was a prophet. He was doing things for the Lord. He was prophesying. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Instead of going to Nineveh, he quit. Got on the boat. Went the other way. We know all about that. Second thing is Jonah separated himself from others. Didn't want any part of anybody else. Didn't want anybody telling him anything like, you know, Jonah, you might be wrong about this. You know, as people, we do that sometimes. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be by myself. And all the time, that person that's trying to help you probably has a word from the Lord or something to really help us, you know. And Jonah became a spectator. He went and sat on the sidelines. After God's work was done, what did he do? Leaves the city, sits on something that he made, gets a a gourd over his head. He becomes a spectator. He's not doing anything for the Lord. What happens sometimes when anger happens is we give up. We stop doing what we're doing in our ministry. We leave it. We walk away from it and say, you know, it really doesn't hurt the church or anything, but it does. And the reason it does is because we're all woven like this together. And one leaves, boom, there's such a gap, you know. That gap has to be filled, that kind of thing. Everything that's done in the ministry of, of a church like Calvary Chapel is important. Everything. If somebody didn't clean the floors, they'd be dirty, right? And nobody thinks, well, you know, I always come in, it's clean. Because somebody did it. There's always somebody there. You know, the things that are made, the, the goodies, the whatever. Everything that happens in the ministry is important. There isn't one single thing that isn't important. And when it, the gap is there, you know, we leave a void. That's why we should always pray about things before we make a move and listen to some counsel within the church itself, maybe your friend, maybe the pastor, maybe one of the elders of the church, whatever. Um, Hasn't this happened to many of us during our walk with the Lord? We became a spectator. You know, we kind of walked away. And he prepares a path for us, and we go in a different direction, just like Jonah. I want to go that way, Lord. I'm not going that way. That's too hard. Well, that's, I just don't have the time for it. Yeah, the amazing thing about God is God always makes more time. It's, it's amazing, right? I got all these things to do, Lord. And then, well, take care of that. And all of a sudden, time expands. I don't know why. Because, oh, I have enough time to do all of this. And I have time to take a rest or whatever, you know. He sends messengers or a message to us. Repent or turn around. We ignore them. I know I got that before I got saved. You know, years, people coming out, his four spiritual laws, his the way of salvation, his all of that. Nah, I don't need it. But I kept them because the Lord knew I was going to make a decision someday. But I kept them all. I had a stack of them. And after I came to the Lord, I thought, wow, it's amazing. And I read them. I thought, why didn't I read that 20 years ago? But the time wasn't right, probably. So... Um, those messengers, if we have a messenger, if somebody wants to pray with let them pray with you. There's going to be something there. 
Um, he puts us in a situation we have been set aside to get the answer, and we don't like it. You know, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you time to think about this. I'm going to give you time to work it out with me, you know, to break it down. And the way, how do we do that? In prayer. We speak to the Lord. We ask him, what is it that you want from me? And the Lord comes back and answers those prayers. We repent and decide to go in the right direction then. Okay, I'm, I'm going down the right road. Uh, we do what the Lord asks to do. And sometimes it's just for a while. We get discouraged or something. So we don't feel comfortable doing it. You know, I just don't feel comfortable doing this thing for you, Lord. So we separate ourselves again. You know, it's kind of human nature for a lot of us to run away. I'm going to go run away and hide. And But you're not running away from God. He's always looking upon us. He's always there. All we've got to do is open up voice, talk to him and say, Okay, Lord, I don't want to hide under the bed anymore. You know, answer me here where I am. And he does. He lets us make a decision. Um, but then eternal factors turn up the heat to get us out of our comfort zone. In other words, things are going on. Things are working in our lives. We don't like being out of our comfort zone and express our concern or anger with them. Sometimes I've heard people say, I'm really angry with God. Thinking, wow, that's pretty, pretty wild. But when some things happen in life, I mean, people lose in COVID-19. People are losing people that they love, you know. And maybe they're not saved and they're angry. And it's our turn to go in and kind of just give them the word. Pray with them. Put your arm around them. Same thing with the people in the church, you know. It's like if you see that somebody's kind of struggling or something, don't be afraid to kind of walk up and just uh, have a conversation. And from that, the Lord uses things to, to do great things in our lives and get over it, you know. The Lord says, are you doing the right thing? Why are you angry? It was your decision to walk away. It was your decision to be doing what you're doing. So we say, just leave me be a lot of times. Just leave me be. I've had enough. I have, one time, um, I worked for a company and um, up in Carlsbad, it was a communication company. And prior to the Christmas that year, Calvary Chapel gave out In Search of Messiah, the book. And I got like 300 of them, free. So I thought, what am I going to do with these? So I took them and went to work with them. And I put a little bow on them and I gave them out to everybody in the company. And there was a lot of Jewish people there. There was people from the Muslim world, all sorts of stuff, right? And I thought, eh, it's okay. So I went around, I gave them out. And then Christmas came around, and after Christmas, one woman walked in to see me and handed it back to me and said, just leave me be. I did that stuff. I tried that. And that was, this is the reason why those 300 bucks went out, okay? Only one came back. But I said, well, what was the problem, you know? And she explained it, and I said, well... Did you ever ask the Lord, did you ever pray with them? And she said, no. And I said, well, we could do that right now. I honestly don't know whatever happened to her. I left the company to go away for 10 years. I didn't go to jail either. And, okay. But I went back east for 10 years. And um, I often thought about going back to the company to say hello to some of the people and see if she was there and find out what happened. I might do that someday. 
But this is the way God works. He's telling you to do something. You know, say this word to them. You know, give them John 3.16 or whatever. Or somebody in the church, you know, you've got a verse for them. You say, hey, i got this verse for you. You know? Oh, yeah. And it's the exact verse. And they say, well, how did they know to do that? The Lord spoke to them to spoke to you, to speak to you. That's how it works. So then the question comes for the Lord. Are you in the right place? Are you doing the right thing? And then he says, I forgive you. I love you. I have compassion for you. Just like the coach putting somebody back in the game, he says, get back in the action and get back in the game. This is not a game, but to use it as, a, as an example. We do what God desires for us, not what we think is best for us. We need to do that. What is best for us? What is, what is it that God desires? That's going to be the best that we could ever do. So we may as well do it. We're amazed at the joy when it comes after doing these things. And the peace that comes from doing the Lord's will. There's no greater peace than being right with the Lord. It's like you can't explain it to people. It's like such a great feeling, such a great place to be. you know. And we know the other feeling of, of not being there of being out there on the sidelines looking in as a spectator. We want to be in the game. We settle, it, we settle in to lay at the feet of Jesus and be his servant. And that's what it's all about, is servanthood, is to lay at his feet and look up and look at him and say, yeah, am I blessed to be with you? And am I blessed to be able to do these things for you, Lord? You could do them with anybody else. You don't even need people. But you've asked me to do it. What a blessing that is. So we understand that there's no greater place than to be in the Lord's will. And we come all down to that. You know, after we've gone through this in our life and in our way and in our walk with the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Jesus, that you're our Lord and Savior. We thank you that. You've given us the word of God that you've given somebody to come into our life and explain who you are and explain John 3.16 and all these things that would bring us to you, Lord, and explaining how we are to be the servants of all, not to pick and choose, Lord, but as you say, to go and do and take care of the ministry and take care of people and take care of our families and take care of the people that are around us so that we will be in your will doing the things that you want us to be. And we will get that joy and that satisfaction that comes from being in your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.